0: Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world? And today with us on the show is Andy Brown, CEO of Sandhill East. Welcome to the show, Andy. Well, thanks a lot. us looking forward to spending some time with you today. Andy, for the benefit of our audience, please give us a little bit of background about you and Sand Hill East.
1: I spent 30 years in enterprise technology, starting off in the pharma industry, Worked in the oil industry for a bit and then in telecom. Spent 20 years in financial services, starting at Paribas in London in 96, and retired in 2013 from UBS in Stanford and New York as Group CTO. I founded Central East in 2013, really after a cycle ride, actually, uh, up Sandhill Road, where I was looking out over Sandhill as the sun went down and looked at all the things east of Sandhill Road. And I was like, these guys create an awful lot of innovation around here but all of the people that have to implement that innovation are somewhere east of here. So having been one of those people my whole career, I thought there must be an opportunity to help companies here figure out more what the business problems are for the companies east of here. And I include London and Asia in east of here as well in that example. And also there must be an opportunity to do something similar to that in New York as well. And I took a role on as CTO of uh, FinTech Innovation Lab in early 2014 which is the biggest incubator for fintech and insurtech in the world, and really uh, built Hill East out to help companies coming through that process. Uh, joined a number of other boards as well in the meantime, and uh, I'm pretty active in the industry in trying to drive this digital outcome that I think we're going to talk more
0: about today. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, I think that actually speaks exactly to what our listening audience is looking for because they are in that view that is East, Typically, they're not actual creators of the technology, but they have big ambitions, things that they have to get done. And as a CIO and and tech CXO myself, and like you, that's a big transformation. That's a technical transformation. But sometimes, and I would suggest it's now more of a business transformation. So when you look east now, or even looking west from New York, or looking around the entire globe, what does the landscape of digital transformation look like? Is it tech heavy? Is it business centric? What are the priorities in either one of those?
1: Well, maybe if we just start off with cloud to start with, I think cloud itself has become a de facto uh, platform now for new businesses that are being built out, and we've seen two iterations or two generations, if you like, of companies both on the direct consumer space, like an Netflix or you know companies like that, as well as the B two B space, like a, an AWS or an Azure or a GCP, and The next generation of companies that came along after that, like the workdays and the cloudification, if you like, of SAP and Oracle, are now history. But what's happening on top of that is super interesting because the hybridization, if you like, of every subvertical in the world is happening in front of our eyes. And what I mean by hybridization is that companies that had no real reason to be in the digital or computing space before do now, because... Whether it's built to order for sneakers or jeans, or whether it's the way you acquire travel itineraries and so on, there's electronic or digital interfaces and platforms involved in that everywhere. And every business, in my opinion, will be a digital business by the end of this decade. And what most people are trying to do is figure out how to use this transformation to position themselves much more attractively in the eyes of the customer. Now, one of the things that's super interesting also is that this move away from product orientation and customer orientation to customer orientation is a really big move and many of the legacy companies that i've been involved in have been very product-centric if you look at the way incentives behaviors and objectives work which i view as the core the heart of any business is those three things objectives behaviors and incentives and those behaviors incentives and objectives have been built out in a very very product oriented way and now to build them out by customer segment is a new thing at the same time as that which is a transformation challenge you've got the new innovators coming into the market who are already built by customer segment They're built out for mass affluent. They're built out for mass market. They have a very strong understanding of what that customer segment wants in the sub vertical that they're in and they're digital. So if you look at challenger banks, there's a good use case here to retail banks, then you can see already there are, you know, in the high 20s or early 30s, number of those companies that are coming from Europe to the U.S. and trying to get licensed over here. And that's happening in almost every other sub vertical as well. So it's a super interesting time. And the kind of transformation we've seen of how people buy things in the retail space, I think, is now being applied in all the sub verticals. So that's the kind of marketplace view that I have, if that makes sense
0: makes complete sense. And I think it's interesting how you identify the constraint, this sort of business quality of what are the incentives, what are the alignments, how does the process work within each organization? Tie that for me back to cloud and what an enterprise tech leader or tech leaders need to think about in terms of how cloud enables that and what are the parameters that they have to worry about, particularly around, say, security.
1: I think the evolution of thinking around cloud has been super exciting to watch as well. And really, I think cloud was originally seen as an alternative venue for hosting applications, but almost in a drag and drop way, if you like, or lift and shift is the terminology traditionally used for that. And I think what people found who tried to adopt that strategy is that lift and shift to the cloud doesn't work very well. And sometimes the cloud is actually more expensive as a hosting venue than let's say VMware or something like that instead. So I think the definition of moving to the cloud has changed to how do I adapt the way that I interact with my customers to take advantage of all of these capabilities that are in the cloud and move some of my core cool services so that they can easily be plugged into the cloud as well. So if you like the developer friendly and the DevOps nature of migration is not just a migration of the infrastructure now, but it's a migration of the methodologies and processes used to build code. And the point that I made previously, which is that the target audience now isn't necessarily the product managers who used to drive product PL in the company, but is now actually the customer segment that you're serving with that particular product. So I think it's a big change and people often underestimate it because they say it's easy to move to cloud, but they're really talking about the lift and shift part of that, which is procedural at this point. But the much harder thing obviously is to change the hearts and minds of the way people work to meet the paradigm of customer centricity, which I think is really the biggest challenge of digital to many companies that weren't set up that way.
0: So $64 million, maybe actually a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar question. How does the CIO or CXO tech leader lead that transformation or what is their role in changing what is essentially, it sounds like a, a business alignment, a cultural, a process, a overall organizational change to move from product to customer and ultimately succeed and win? One
1: of my mentors in 1999 told me that in the height of .com10, told me that there would be a day when the CIO was able to walk into the boardroom and actually write the business plan with the board members and the executive committee.
0: Hallelujah. And, and, and this person
1: is seen in the industry as a visionary. I mean, he was connected to all the right names at the time. And what's actually happened in the last six or seven years, probably since about 2015, is that the fusion of thinking around digital has required a different approach from CEOs and the CEO, I think in a legacy business may have originally thought, well, well, you know, I'll hire a chief digital officer, I'll have that person work for me and we'll have that person work across the product silos to figure out how to make us a digital company. And the problem with that strategy is it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because the chief digital officer doesn't have the financial control over the product silos. And so if you can't control what you're building, one thing's for sure, you can't control the outcome for your customer. So. What I've seen change is that the CEOs themselves have become the leaders of the move to the digital. They've been the ones looking at the change budget and trying to decide how to spend the change budget most effectively in order to drive a digital outcome. But they've also been the ones that have had to lead the customer centricity as well. Because changing that mindset requires all of the sub-management layers to have their incentives changed. And people don't like having their incentives changed especially not when they've been doing something for a long time. So I think the CIO's role is to be a thoughtful leader in thinking about not only the technology changes, which we just discussed, so cloud itself, how you secure the cloud, how you move developers to the cloud so that you can compete at least on a speed of delivery basis with the startups that are trying to eat your lunch. But also it's about having the executive committee and the board itself think much more broadly about what the role of, the company is in customers' lives. How do we want to touch the customer? How do we want to interact with the customer? And I think oftentimes CIOs are the ones that can help explain how the art of the possible with technology can change the business model significantly of the business and modernize, if you like, the way customers feel about the brand. I think that that, that role of being the translator, if you like, between what the digital economy is gonna look like and what the current business model is, is a super important role. It's a role where McKinsey, Oliver Wyman, and, and the high-level consulting companies also play a big role with their white papers, thinking about what the future of banking is, thinking about what the future of insurance is, and so on. But the CIOs themselves also have a really big part to play there And I think actually users of consumer technology who are in the executive committee also have a big role to play because when you're using consumer technology and you're like, wow, this is great. I love using this thing. It's really good. It gives me all the things that I need at the time I need them. It reminds me of the things I need to be reminded of. It says, hey, Andy, you need to leave in five minutes to get to that meeting you're going to drive to. This kind of digital assistance, if you like, is something that is required in the board meetings and in the executive committee meetings of companies as well. So bringing your own consumer experience as an expectation for your companies delivering consumer experience over
0: digital, I think is just a really big deal. That is really well stated. I get this question a lot, frankly, Andy, about what is my role as a CIO or as a CXO tech leader in enterprise, large, medium, small, doesn't matter. First and foremost, do you have a book that you've written about this? You need to write a book. You have You need to go write write the book and let's let's get that out there. Uh, number two, are are you consulting at a level with organizations to help define these strategies? Is that what a lot of what Sand Hill East does? is, Is come in and say, look, this is the alignment. This is the need. Is that something that your organization provides? Generally
1: not. Actually, we work with startups that are trying to create the digital version of the legacy platform that exists. But what we also do is sit between the current incumbents and the growth economy that's happening on the digital side. And then we'll run innovation workshops with very large companies and say, here's the way the industry is thinking about this from the evolving segment. So the segment that's actually creating the new user experience, the new customer experience. Even the new business experience, the new way to think about on-demand insurance or, you know, uh, how do you fund the cash flow of a business that needs to be smoothed out or whatever it is. So I think we definitely play a role in explaining and showing the art of the possible to large companies, particularly banks and financial infrastructure companies and insurance companies as well. So we do a fair amount of that but it's hard to actually understand a large amount of the innovation that's going on, particularly in FinTech and InsurTech, and get your heads around that, and then look at the impact of the business models of existing large businesses, and bring to the fore the things that you think are going to be revolutionary. There are a few examples though of companies that have come to us and said, if you were starting with a blank sheet of paper, and you had this business as exists today, what would you do? So that has happened at least six or seven times. And when they do that, then we'll engage with our portfolio and with our knowledge of the industry and say, you know what, you know, there's a lot you can do here and you can do it quickly. And we have one particular example in New York where we work with a company and they really, really wanted to leapfrog uh, their competitors. So we sat down with them and we've re-architected their platforms to allow them to do that. So one of the cool things by the way about, about cloud-based technology, and I'm not talking about cloud as in cloud provider, I'm talking about the tech that's built on top of cloud companies, is that the speed of adoption can be so fast. So you can literally impact a company like that in 18 months. In that example we have, it's been 18 months and we've done, you know, I mean literally the heart of the business is now running on platforms that run on top of the cloud, which was not the case before. So I I think these times are really interesting for that reason. I just think we're in a time where competition is going to change. It's gonna not be the same old, same old traditional competitors. It's gonna be those who innovate faster can potentially win everything. And if you think about kind of the change in the retail industry that happened as a result of Amazon, and now Mm -hmm. you take that thought and apply it in the sub-verticals that I talked about earlier on, that opportunity exists in almost every sub-vertical. To be the company that disrupts everybody because your business model is better.
0: And uh, while I do suggest you probably have some sort of strategy and practice for for boards, how can boards move this forward? And what are some of their what are some practical examples of language that maybe a tech leader could use? You spoke, uh, you know, at the Zscaler CxO Summit earlier in the year, and you know, used a number of examples. But how can the board think better about this? How can the CIO sit with the board and go, okay. Here's what I need to explain to you because you've just articulated it eloquently and, and directly and precisely. And, and frankly, I'm going to use the transcript from this podcast in my next board meeting. But aside from <laughs> that, I, 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 I think that I mean, I'm just going to memorize parts of it, Andy. That's what I'm saying. But you know, aside from that, what would you advise a CIO or a CxO like myself or anybody else as here how to help the board through uh, business language and what are some practical examples?
1: I think boards exist to govern businesses, but ultimately the fiduciary responsibility of board members is to shareholders. And what that means when I think about particularly my public boards, I always have that in mind when I'm in a meeting, Uh, I'm thinking about what's in the best interests of the shareholders and the stakeholders of this company. And so the language that I think works well with board members is to position the discussion that you want to have in the context of what is in the best interest of shareholders and stakeholders. Now, when you're having a conversation about risk and security, for example, um, it's clearly in the best interest of shareholders and stakeholders that the company is doing everything that it reasonably could be expected to do to defend itself as digital becomes the primary channel. Because it may be that in some of these sub-verticals, there was no attack vector before because they weren't even on the internet. They had a brand website, but they certainly weren't running their supply chain from that brand website, but now they are. and so. To me, I think there is now a reasonable expectation that companies are taking cyber security seriously. And you know, with the ransomware stuff that's going on, that is a language that board members really understand well. I mean I do get this. So I think risk is a common business language, and risk in this case doesn't just apply to cyber threat, but also applies to disruption of business models as well. So when you can see if you're sitting in, you know, a large bank, let's say And you can see Revolut and you're watching Revolut and you're like, wow, Revolut seems like they're growing really fast. Let's go take a look at how fast they're actually growing. And so my bet is that the corporate development and corporate strategy people that attend board meetings and are informing those board members of what the competitive environment is looking like are probably not really watching carefully all of the fintech upstarts in that example uh, that could potentially eat their lunch. And in particular, the gap between the expectations of Generation X and Generation Z and millennials is significant. The expectations of millennials and Gen Z is digital. That's it, end of story. I have five kids, I know this. Whether it's TikTok (laughs) for my 15 year old or Facebook for my 32 year old and my grandchildren, you know, (laughs) this is a fact. And so you're now missing 53% of the workforce if you're not catering to that audience. Um. There's only so long that that can continue to be the case because it's not just about the workforce it's also about the transition of wealth between the silent generation and boomers. And the other generations, which is being done both through traditional methods like trusts and so on, as well as just through the aging population and the inevitability of death for all of us and people planning on it, so I think. The fact that Gen Z and millennials will inherit more wealth than any generation in history, which is a fact, means that as a brand that's looking to have a future beyond the next 10 years, let's say, you've got to think about that audience, not just what their needs are now, but what their needs are going to look like over the next 10 years. And I do feel like there needs to be much more emphasis placed on that by boards that are thinking about the long-term future of businesses and what the expectations of those generations are.
0: Fantastic. I would suggest any of our listeners to take notes on what you just said, because it seems to marry with the strategy, the approach, the business transformation, the technical digital transformation. With that wealth transfer and what people will be spending money on, what are the technologies that sort of excite you for the enterprise going forward, whether that's one end of the spectrum, 5G, or the much overstated application of AI? Is there something that in the spectrum of new tech that excites you and says gee you know what the cio the cxo tech leader they need to really think about this because it's going to bind to all of those values you just described and the approach to transformation and success of focusing on the customers is there something that reaches you and excites you
1: sure i mean i think the creation of the secure internet itself is very exciting and so The secure Internet, I think, or Internet 2.0 or whatever you want to call it, is emerging right now. I mean, Zscaler has a role in the creation of that. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the bandwidth now running through Zscaler is comparable to the largest retail platforms in the world in almost every major city in the world. So we're in the top five of bandwidth consumption in many of the cities across the world so i think that's a super important kind of thing to understand in terms of the scale of, that the secure internet itself brings is already almost the scale of the internet and that's just i think it's mind-blowing for most people certainly <laughs> mind-blowing for me so that's the first thing i would say you know when i worked in the oil industry we were actually doing quadratic programming on plant optimization and we figured out a way to get the plant operators to go around to all the manual equipment with Scion organizers and actually write down the readings from the meters. And then we would suck all the data out of those into the QP that was running to optimize the plant. Now, all of that technology now is 5G enabled and edge enabled as well. And in a plant like the one I worked in, it was 25 square miles. So it sounds easy going to do what I just said, but it really wasn't easy. You had to have cars you have cars that didn't spark to drive around but did the refinery uh, because sparks are bad news in right. refineries. basically. Right. And you know the, the person had to manually collect the data, and obviously you got human error associated with that as well. So the fact that's now automated, that those readings are all at the edge is super interesting. One of the companies we work with is a company called Expansive, which has built this virtual supply chain for oil, where all of the data associated with the oil coming out of the ground at the wellhead is actually gathered at the wellhead, but then it's all on blockchain. So it actually sticks with the oil oh. the entire way through the, the so you, most people know that the oil is brought out of the ground, it's stored in tanks, and then it gets put on tankers and you know sent across the ocean to the place where it's going to get refined. And in that period of time, while it's being sent across the ocean, it's bought and sold multiple times by different people. And when you talk about it in the 1980s language, it's like sweet Mexican crude or Nica or whatever it is. And now, what Expansive has done is they've got like a hundred attributes of the oil. Like what's the content of sulfur? What's the content of or what are the hydrocarbon emissions from that oil? When you burn it, when you refine it, when you distill it, whatever. And so oil itself has become like a multi-layered product. And now multiple products really with different specific gravity, different water content and so on. So this whole idea now that you can almost apply this supply chain thinking to everything It's super interesting because it's like you've got 5G, you've got the edge, which is actually doing AI on the data being gathered from the 5G components, which could be video cameras, they could be meters, the way I described before. And, you know, one of the things in Kevin Kelly's book, which was recommended by the person I told you before who was a genius, the book's called Out of Control, is that distribute being is one of the rules of life in Kevin Kelly's book. A typical example that you'd think of for yourself is if you pick up something hot, it's your spine that reacts, not your brain, because it takes longer for the signal to get to your brain than to your spine. It just tells you to drop it, right? And so that same technique applies to building uh, complex systems in the AI space. You want to do as much of the processing at the edge as you can. That's what distributed being is all about. And then you actually just bring the signal from the edge into the center. This is how we're going to build very intelligent uh, systems in the future so that's super exciting to me I'm, re- I'm really excited about that the final thing is you know for my kids generation you know all of them actually the the 15 to 32 year olds they're going to have to reskill every two to five years and they're going to have to reskill because machine learning and ai and rpa Are going to change the things that are valuable for humans to be paid for and so the idea that reskilling itself becomes a skill that learning how to reskill yourself to be useful in the market in three years time in five years time and so on is super exciting it's an amazing opportunity and it's also an amazing risk as well so and oftentimes those two things come together so i'm super excited about a company that i'm working with there called skyhive But I'm more excited about that opportunity in the broadest sense of the word and you know I'm seeing the World Economic Forum the G7 be very focused on these things as well. The final thing really is around ESG and equity and so I think you know all of us in our lifetimes have seen the improvement in the thinking around ESG and the way people are treated in companies as well and I think those both those two things are going to be significantly improved in the next five years and even in the next two years i think i'm seeing so much change in that space right now it's super exciting and i'm really very enthused about it to be honest
0: andy that is fantastic i think we could discuss this for a couple of hours and maybe multiple sessions and hopefully you'll be uh, amenable to coming back on the show you were just a fantastic guest andy brown on the cio evolution thank you for being part of our discussion today ceo and founder of sandhill east remarkable and i uh, urge all of our listeners to take a look further into andy's background and learn more from our transcripts and description of the show fantastic andy thank you for being part of the cio evolution thanks so much Les. it's my pleasure thanks for listening to the cio evolution check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change these statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the private securities litigation reform act of 1995 full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com copyright 2021